Welcome to Where's My Blueprint Podcast, where we talk about all things adulting, our experiences, navigating adulthood, and what we learned along the way. We invite you to join our weekly conversations while we create our own blueprints on this amazing journey and hope some of the lessons we learned can help you. Here are my co-hosts, Nay and Sunny D. Hey everybody, it's your girl Sunny D here to brighten up your day. I'm a new business owner transitioning from corporate America. And frankly, I can't trust anybody that don't like tacos. Hey friends, I'm Nay. I'm so excited to share and grow with y'all. I'm a full-time wife, full-time mommy, and part-time employed. Nutella is my love language. This is your girl, Nakai, and I am your host on Where's My Blueprint Podcast. I am so excited to have you guys here, and I love brownies and seaweed. So let's get to the episode. Hey, welcome back to Where's My Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver entertaining, educational, and some inspirational thoughts and comments all about adulting. I hope you all are ready to spend the time with your loved ones, the family, or your friends, whatever you choose, your choice, and enjoy the holidays and all this good food. And y'all know Christmas is next week. So we need to pay some bills because we got to buy some presents. A word from our sponsor. Divine Timing is an encouragement and edification company specializing in beautifully designed digital journals and planners to get and keep your life uplifted and in order. Go to fearforme.com to check out the online store. And for all of our WMB listeners, you can use the code WMB22 at checkout to save 22% on everything on the site. So go shopping and get your life. So you know we do a quote for every single episode. Today's quote I really love. It is from the most amazing book in the world. And it says, write the vision and make it plain. Habakkuk two and two. Okay. Yeah. First of all, when we have a vision, you know, it's so, so important that we execute it. Right. So my thoughts on this vision is, or like on the quote of the day is like, you know, not only do you have a vision, but again, make it plain, make it realistic for you. So yeah, that that's very powerful. And of course, from the powerful book of Rebecca. I mean, I appreciate a good scripture. That is definitely one I think I heard many, many years ago when I was younger and it didn't make sense. A lot of stuff in the Bible don't make sense for your kids, but as I've gotten older, very much like as far as me organizing my thoughts in my brain, sometimes that's all I can do is just write it down, put it on paper, see it in black and white or blue or whatever color pen I'm writing in. And there it is. And things are much more clear to me when I get to write things down, which is why I have 8,700 journals. So I appreciate the scripture 100%. I definitely appreciate the scripture, like everyone pretty much has said. But initially, when I heard you read that quote, what popped into my head? It is the song The Vision by Patrick Love. All my Black Baptist church growers. AD, I see you shaking your head. You know what I'm talking about. That, that song will be played. And that is what popped into my head. So I don't even think I read the verse anymore. I think I automatically just sing the verse. I like that. I'm going to say I feel left out of this one because I don't know what song you're referring to. Oh, it has to be in the blog then as like the video just for the homie. Look. I see because both all of y'all's faces is like I just snatched y'all pearls and I just told y'all that Trump is in office. Like, First of all, that song in and of itself is so uplifting. That song actually makes me um, think about or recollect Jeremiah 23 and 11, you know, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to, you know, help you prosper into a new life or whatever. So like that song makes me think about that. But I didn't, I, I mean, I didn't even know where that song had derived from. I thought it had derived from that scripture, but it totally makes sense now that, you know, growing up, it comes from the verse of Rebecca. So wow, mind blown. But yeah, 
yes, you need to hear that song. It's so uplifting. We stand a young queen who can um just quote scriptures like that, AD. Now, please don't gas me up. <laughs> please do not gas me up this morning. <laughs> I don't know. The Bible is just so so um important for me and my vision, right? So I don't know. I just I don't know. I've just grown up like with so many women who um are so like biblically well versed that it makes me want to be as well versed as them. So I know a few verses here and all from there off the dome outside of John 3 16 so yeah I don't know I, I love the Bible I love God you don't love God what's wrong with you <laughs> so we're gonna move into our either or so our either or for this week is so this week is random AF either or be the best singer that nobody knows or the worst singer that everybody talks about okay I got a question so yeah I pulled it y'all we flipped this week <laughs> so when you say nobody knows does that mean like I'm not even singing in church my family don't even know like who's nobody define nobody everybody is nobody nobody knows that you can sing nobody knows that you have been blessed by the god with the vocal abilities not a one person but you and him so i don't sing nowhere in the shower maybe in your car in your head i don't know nobody knows nobody has ever heard your voice ever or everybody has heard it and it is terrible think mina from sing without even your family knowing i mean i guess then that solidifies my answer because i'm like do i really want to be ridiculed for having a crappy voice or do i want to like actually have some type of talent so i personally will say i would like to be a singer that a really good singer that nobody knows um and also too like i mean it it could stem from you know kind of like mina from sing from fear anxiety you know fear of judgment but yeah no i'm not trying to you know get on somebody's stage willing and sing off key for 45 minutes for a concert and then be ridiculed for it. Tomatoes. I think I would also be the best singer nobody knows about because let's be honest, everybody in their own head is their own best singer in the shower that nobody knows about. Like we only cease to be good singers when people be like, hey girl, your voice ain't ain't voicing. It ain't giving what it's supposed to give. So of course, that's the only answer to me. We may particularly possibly be unanimous in this. I would much rather be a bomb-ass singer that no one has any slightly clue about whatsoever. Mainly because I enjoy singing and I've been doing it forever. I think I have a relatively decent voice. Most people will probably be surprised. But I enjoy it when I don't have any sort of criticism or judgment or any of those types of things. Like, it's just something that feels good to do. I had a whole concert in the kitchen yesterday when I was organizing all of our pots and pans and spices and stuff. My dog was looking at me crazy, but I was living my best life. Nobody knows. And it's fine. I've gotten up on stage and the level of anxiety, I can't do it. I, I can't get my life like that. Props to any and every person that can and that is willing to do so. So I would much rather be the secret like Grammy winning singer in the kitchen or the shower and nobody has a clue. So the way my life is set up, that was a that was my question or my answer is that y'all ain't gonna know until I let you know that I can sing. So, um, <laughs> That was one for me. But I was asking because I'm like, you know, when you live with people and if you're in the shower and somebody just come in, not in the shower, but they're like, who, who, who voice is it? You know? So I was thinking those are why my questions stem the way they did. But um, definitely we are unanimous is that we going to be the best singers. No one knows until we're ready for them to know. And then I think of, I don't know if y'all remember this guy. He was a long time ago. He started singing and his voice was horrible. He was black, light skinned, like with the huge gap in his mouth and I- JJ Fish. Yes. yes. Wait, who 
was it? Or JJ Icefish. One of the two. Yes. AD put it in there. Yeah, like he was very well known, but because he was his voice was annoying. Like I could listening to him sounded like, you know, like back in the day when the um teachers would scratch the chalkboard and you're like, oh my gosh, you're hurting. That was his voice. So I would never want to be portrayed. <laughs> has that so yeah that was a good either or okay so audience here we go so I love this time of year because it's when most of the late bloomers start to plan for the next year and do their vision boards set goals get all excited about the new year um and sometimes it's like the ones who are planners have already started this process in November so depends on who you are but I'm excited and glad to have a beautiful guest here today her name is Amber A.D. Alston we're gonna call her A.D. to help educate us on and about this new age vision board. Y'all, she is the GOAT. She's going to help us understand the psychology behind it. And not only that, but how does this affect Black women? So I'm excited. And with that, AD, go ahead and introduce yourself. Awesome. Well, first of all, thank you three for uh, having me on the podcast. Again, I am um, so, so excited to kind of just share a little bit about what I know. So real quick here, um, my name is Amber, but I do go by AD. I am from here. Houston, Texas, straight up H-Town, hold it down. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm currently a graduate student at Texas State University, um, where I'm currently pursuing my master's in communication studies. Um, I did obtain my undergrad at the same institution at the, with the same degree um, back in 2020. I did recruiting for a little bit, didn't like it. And then I worked in logistics for a little bit. And I mean, it was, it was a pretty easy job once I got the hang of it. But something told me, you know, just continue getting your education. So I did. And I don't know. Yeah, I I currently, or not currently, back um, in, uh, I want to say September, late August, I um, decided doing, you know, vision boards for myself and really kind of honing in on just like the creative factors behind it. And I wanted to, you know, share my work with the world and, you know, Black women were like, I want one of these. Where do I get one? How do I even make one? Um, so I was like, maybe this is my cue to start my business. So um, this year I started Envision, which is a virtual vision board company. And um on top of that, I'm currently doing grad school. So that's pretty much it until I'm graduated from, you know, Texas State in May. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. I hope that suffices. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so if you're familiar with our podcast, we talk about all things adulting. And with our adulting, how would you describe adulting? I know you're in your master's program about to graduate. Woo, woo, woo. So close. Yes. Um, but how would you describe adulting? Uh, Nakai, that's a good question. <laughs> um, adulting for me, um, and I don't mean to get too dark when I say this, but um, it's actually quite factual, but very rocky and very uncertain. Okay, let me justify. So growing up for the first like decade of my life, my future wasn't quite as an adult very certain. Like I didn't know why quite what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go. Uh, I mean, I had a little bit of talent like I could sing right I mean I still can but not to the world <laughs> and I don't know I just didn't know what I wanted to do um and also on top of that I was put in foster care um I was later adopted six years later so I was in you know the foster care system for six years and within that time I was like I'm just trying to make it to the next day or I don't even know why I, I mean am I even going to be in this house for the next you know year so you know there was a lot of uncertainty growing up and so in my adulting life now I try to be a hundred percent certain 
certain and intentional with every move that I make. So I would say like, yes, even though it was rocky and like uncertain at the beginning, I would say now like I will plan moving forward. Like I know where I want to go like for my future career. So the ladies know I'm very inquisitive. So tell me a little bit about your foster care experience. What age did you enter foster care? Um, so I actually entered foster care when I was 10. Um, and then I was adopted at 16. So that's six years. Yeah. Um, that experience for me, you know, being uprooted from my Black community and then, of course, being placed with, you know, predominantly white families, both of my foster homes and my adopted home is, you know, I'm adopted by white people. And I, I mean, it made it a little uncertain for me because it's like, okay, well, how do I navigate being Black in a white world, right? Like, that's my first question. How do I navigate being Black within a white family? And so, I mean, I had to kind of grow up quickly, like, understanding my difference. Um, and even when I was in foster care, right? Um, I mean, we've all had bullies, but, you know, I was in a predominantly white district, um, which is known for, you know, you, you know, systemic and systematic racism. And, um, you know, I've had bullies that were not only like, you know, degrading me based on, you know, my size and what I did, you know, because I was a chunky girl. And, you know, now they're degrading me for my race. So it created a lot of like questioning about, okay, well, where would I even fit in, in society in the future? Overall, I was blessed to have two really great families, um, you know, growing up that kind of, you know, showed me like, you're beautiful, no matter what you are, and who you are, and how you identify. Um, so that was, you know, very encouraging, but I was still uprooted from like, what it means to have that black beauty and like those black standards within the black household. So yeah, I hope that answers your question as tactfully as possible. So this is kind of train detouring a little bit. But because you say you grew up with two adopted families who were white and you are a beautiful black woman who was a beautiful black girl did they place support and seek out other black people or provide black resources to help you shape your black identity or was this something that you had to navigate and search for on your own um so i will say moving into my second foster home which later became my adopted home being in more of an integrated district kind of helped out with that um overall though no um and that's not a knock to you know any of the two families that i had it was just because out of like you know certain situations my caseworker was black and also too like she had like a partner that would come with her as well and they were black so i mean just seeing that identification right there within social workers was i mean it had to be enough for me right but i will say growing up though no um i saw other like some ethnic people within the um first school that i went to but nothing like tailored towards like the black experience because your your life has been very unique right how did you or how did you seek out the black experience and how do you define the black experience i'm going to define the black experience before i kind of follow up with your former question um the black experience is a spectrum of experience right depending on what you make it right i definitely cannot give that a fixed definition because we all even though we are all the same race right or ethnicity we do 
black differently. There are some things that, you know, we have grown up in different, you know, neighborhoods culturally. We've grown up in different, you know, cities, states, etc. differently. So there are different customs to the black experience um, that of course have some, you know, underlying foundational experiences such as like, you know, the church as we were talking about earlier. But I definitely think that we all have different experiences that cannot necessarily be defined into one thing, which, you know, again, comes from, you know, where you've grown up, how you've grown up, um, the access that you've had. Now, to answer your former question, so I had to do a lot of that on my own, um, unfortunately. So lots of like YouTube videos, because I mean, YouTube was a big thing back in, you know, 08 when it first came out. Um, so uh, with that, though, came the good and the bad. So um, I saw the stereotypes in which, you know, those who, you know, have more power and privilege were stereotyping us to be, um, you know, loud ghetto, etc. You fill in the blanks, unfortunately. Um, but with that, I also saw like, you know, here's how you can do your hair. <laughs> here's how you can do X, Y, and Z. Also too, I still have contact with my biological mom, um, even though we weren't living together, um, which helped out a lot. But also too, like I tried to make sure, I mean, and for a minute there, unfortunately, like it did happen, but I really tried for the most part not to fall into the stereotypes of what other people thought a black woman should be or what a little black girl should be. So again, within the age of social media, since, you know, I am born in 98, you you know, that unfortunately was like a secondhand way of like showing me how to perform, you know, blackness. Um, not the most beneficial way, because again, you know, being uprooted from, you know, that space, there were moments that I lost out on, there was culture that I lost out on, um, you know, along the way. So I mean, when people see me, like they see black, right? Duh, because you know, I'm black. But when I open my mouth, and it's like, oh, who are you? <laughs> like, you don't talk like them, you know, and then it gives black exceptionalism, which I don't like but I hope that answers your question so thoughts because I am a black girl who grew up in a predominantly white environment but I do have and you know did grow up with my black parents but there was a notion of kind of not being black enough for the black kid being too black for the white kid and I can only imagine growing up in a white household how that dynamic plays on you so what was your experience with that and to follow up did you at any point question your blackness I know as you stated before being black is not a monolith but in everyday society it tends to be demonstrated as almost a monolith so to reiterate my questions what is your experience with the whole notion of being too black for the, the white kids or not black enough for the black kids and how do you feel like is that something that you internalize or question 100% hundred <laughs> percent. You know, growing up in a district, you know, this is pertaining to my second, you know, family who is now like, that's where my last name derives from. With that, you know, growing up, you know, I lived in, you know, a nice two story house. Right. Um, granted, I had to room with one of my siblings, you know, because we had the same schedule. So we because we went to the same high school. Um, so that way we weren't disturbing other folks. But growing up, I definitely think like the same thing still applies. Like you're too black for the white folk, but you are um too white for the black folk, right? Um, you know, especially talking back with, you know, family members and friends and church family who um have kind of seen me kind of grow up over the years, but it's like, oh wow, you're like 
so intelligent. Like it's, it's almost like poisonous and it's like, okay, like I can't help that. That's just the way that I've been established. Right. So I definitely think the same thing applies, but even in the spaces, you know, prime example of high school, right. The minute that I start showing a little like black normativity, then it's a problem. And it's like, oh, why are you acting like that? Like, why are you showing out today? And it's like, I'm not showing out. Like, <laughs> so there is this like tension. Right. And, um, even in the neighborhood that I grew up in, there was, I mean, one black, other black family that lived like at the front of the neighborhood. But other than that, like they were already grown. So, um, I mean, there was really nobody to like have that connection with. Right. So it wasn't like a, a black neighborhood in the suburbs where, you know, you have one neighbor here who's black, the other neighbor here who's black and the whole block is black. Right. No, it was like this mixed household, white household, another white household down to the um, end. There was um, an Egyptian household. So it was like, um, oh, yeah, they were so nice. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I definitely think the same thing applies with the, you know, feeling too black for one side, but feeling too white for the other. Trying to unpack, and I, I wouldn't even call it trauma, trying to unpack like six years worth of events is a lot. So I understand like some of y'all's faces, it's like, oh, oh, wow, that like, whoa, you know? And again, that, I mean, there was nothing that I could, you know, do to help that, you know, because I was, you know, a victim of things that were out of my control, right? But yeah, no, most definitely. Thank you for mentioning that and thank y'all for like taking the time to dive in because usually people just kind of gloss over it always that's my brain so I feel like everything you said was so impactful too so how or what two words because your your upbringing has been very very different from most I won't say most some and what two words would you use to really describe that journey uh, trials and tribulations um uh you know not to get too spiritual but um you know trial right I would consider like well I mean trials and tribulations with in those six years because you know there were some wins there were some losses you know being adopted was one of the you know big things back in you know 2014 but I would say encompassing that experience as a whole was the trial getting into my adulthood now um, and where I am working on a second degree is the tribulation right um, being able to celebrate the victories and also being able to just kind of continue honing in on what it means to be black in AD's world right I definitely think you know being having the privilege as a black person to even go to college you know that's a privilege for me um so I want to be able to like take my knowledge and you know give it back to the community so um yeah trials and tribulations I think those are the two like contrasts to describe going into adulthood I think those are two words that perfectly describe going into adulthood hell it describes being an adult-ish so <laughs> you talked about your childhood um but did you have a specific blueprint going into adulthood I know you um were blessed to be adopted and do would you see that example as your blueprint is uh, going into adulthood? Yes, to both of those questions. Um, The blueprint you know, still need to be revised and edited along the way. But again, that's what that's what a blueprint usually is. And I will say after I graduated high school, my mom was really good about telling me you're getting into a four-year university. So by like speaking that into existence for me, allowed me to have that vision and make that blueprint essentially come to life, you know? And I was like, I said, mom, I don't even know like what I'm gonna do. Like, how am I gonna fund college? Blah, 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 blah. And she was like, well, you know, you have these resources here for you, so take it and run with it. Um, but you're going to a four-year university, you know, i.e. please do not end up like us who, you know, even though we worked well, you know, in our adult life, now we're struggling or in our younger life, now we're struggling. So get what you need. So I will 
say like family really helped bring that blueprint to life because I was like, okay, I, I've heard about the college thing, but I heard about the workforce thing after high school. So like, what do I do? And then after college, right, I then started to map out, you know, and plan out my adult life. Like, what did I want this to look like? Like, again, that's where the vision board started to come in. How do I want to achieve the girl boss aesthetic? <laughs> the black girl boss aesthetic, two different spheres, right? But even then, even now, like every day I wake up and I'm like, okay, well, what's planned for me? Like, how, what's my blueprint for the day? So um, to answer your questions, yes, absolutely. I have a lot of thought. <laughs> I think of this is going to be a, most of our reactions throughout the entirety of this conversation with you because you bring, you just, you have so such a story. I really want to know about your business that you've developed, how you got started in it, and what part of your journey of adulting led you to starting this business? Man, good question. Uh, so in, I actually started making vision boards at the beginning of the year. So in January, 2022, it, well, it all started when I first got an iPad. Let's start there. But because even in the pandemic, I was like, I have no direction in my life. Like everything was uprooted in the pandemic. I was living with my parents, you know, fresh out of college. I was at a job that I didn't really like. Um, and, and then I really didn't find any fulfillment in. It was like the same stuff, different day. And I was like, I, I want to do this, but I, I can't right or like I, I can't see it um and so I mean I made the brave decision in December of 2020 and I was like I'm sorry I gotta leave I have no motivation to do this I'm tired of being on my computer for eight nine hours a day and not getting enough people to have them move to the next round of the recruiting phase like I'm it's just so tiring so draining reciting the same script over and over again and so you know I started to get an iPad and just like generally plan right and I would throw in a couple of like pictures every now and then to just kind of like have an image like okay this is what this means like visually right and so after a while um I started to uh just you know make just planners in general like just things that I have for myself and then like attach images to them and then when I started grad school um in the fall of 21 I my little iPad mini like failed and then I had to get a new one so I got like this like a bigger iPad and then I was like you know what I'm keeping putting these things in like these collages like in this template how about I just take it to the next level and then I kept saying I'm gonna take it to the next level for like six months <laughs> and never did <laughs> so I was like this is my reason why <laughs> we need to do this so during my winter break um in in January um January 1 came around I said you know what let's just turn on some lo-fi music in my room we are going to sit here we're going to you know get on Canva and we're gonna make a vision board right I'm not good with the physical vision boards right um they're great you can hang them up but usually for me I like take it and I put it behind like my desk and then never see it again so for me I'm like I see it it's there in my plain view so it started out in January 2021 or January 2022 excuse me um and then every month thereafter I would have like a color of the month so going back to January the theme was green right what green makes me feel very like serene comforting um new beginnings and of course when we see green we see money <laughs> so I was like I want to be able to like you know plant seeds that relate to that um um, so then every month thereafter, I was like, man, I'm getting like really good at these. Like, I mean, these are getting more complex with practice. And this is where it gets anticlimactic. So one day I posted one of my, I want to say my November vision board on, no, not November. I posted one of my vision boards on Instagram on my story. And I was like, I'm gonna just start selling these because these are getting so good. And literally everybody was like, if you do that, I will buy like six. And I'm like, all right, let's reel it in there, partner. And literally I was like, okay, well, maybe this is a sign to like start a business. So then thereafter,
after, um, in the summer, I had created a, I had, it was like in the works, right? I was like you know, kind of planning the vision for the business, how ironic, and what I wanted it to look like. Um, and then early September, I launched it and everybody was like, I'm going to follow this immediately and I'll place my order there as soon as it's ready to go. Like when I first opened up like the business, it was, I had like, I was making two to four vision boards within a week because everybody was just like, I need like this amount, I need this. And so I was like, okay, so that's a little bit about how it started. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, and so I usually like sell them if you want like moving images, then I usually charge a little bit more for it. But that's pretty much it. Thank you. And I only think about this because not everyone knows what a vision board is and versus like physical or digital. So can you describe first and foremost, what is a vision board? And you said you like a digital one versus a physical one. So what does that mean? Absolutely. So I'll try to break this down. So a vision board, right, is essentially a object, whether that be a physical or like hard copy. So you, the physical version, it looks like something you would put on like a poster board or a large piece of paper. Um, going into the digital version, however, right, usually you collage images and you put them on some type of system, which of course I'm pretty sure I'll break down later. And uh, you essentially like upload that to your computer, upload that to whatever, you know, compatible device you have. Now going back to what a vision board is, <laughs> Um, a vision board is essentially, um, a, how do I say this? I don't want to say object, but it is a compilation of images that you put together that represent or symbolize your goals that you want to see come to fruition. So for example, if my goals, I'm just going to use my goals for this month because November in college right now is super hectic. If I want to symbolize what school looks like or how I want school to be, um, I'll put like, you know, a computer aesthetic kind of thing, like organized aesthetic if I want to have some motivation or I want quotes that will give me motivation, I'll find motivational quotes, Bible verses, etc. right? Um, so essentially a vision board is a compilation of images that kind of reminds you to kind of achieve those goals. And again, that compilation could be in a physical format, which is you kind of taking magazine clippings, images, posting it to um, with glue to a board, right? Or a trifold. Whereas digitally, what that looks like is you essentially taking screenshots of like uh, stock images I use Pinterest, right, to take those images and compile those onto um, a system of your choice. I use Canva. Nice. So for me, Vision Board was something that I was introduced to in pretty much early adulthood. <laughs> It was nothing that I too much saw growing up other than in school, them having you make a collage. But I think that was more of a time passer upper kind of thing. I digress. Is this something you were familiar with growing up? Or is this something that you also came kind of late to the party about? I also came late to the party on this one. When So vision board, first thing for me in undergrad. So I was in an organization that is tailored towards um, foster care alumni or people that have come out of the foster care system or were adopted um, and they have resources for us, you know, at Texas State. Shout out to Dr. Christine Norton. Anyway, <laughs> so essentially we were at a retreat and these usually happen per semester, usually towards the end or towards midterms. And she was like, let's do a vision board. I was like, the heck is that? Like vision what? Like I could see. <laughs> and she was like, a vision board essentially is like, what, what goals do you want to set for yourself? And how do you want to see those goals come to life? Or like, what, like, what, 
aesthetic do you want and so on and so forth and she she because you know she's in social work and she knows a little bit how to describe them a lot more eloquently than I do right I was like okay sounds great where do I even start and she had like a whole bunch of supplies she had like this stack of magazines I was like yay high I was like lord have mercy and so essentially it was just me kind of coming to terms with first writing down what I wanted as like an undergrad at this time and like how did I want to see those things and like what things emulated that in pop culture and magazines um in the media and stuff like that so it's a really fun and interactive way to like make your goals come to life and sculpture those goals based on like priority and stuff but yeah I did not come into that I mean the first time I heard about that was like 1920 um so not quite an adult but like adult enough sorry I'm doing the math in my head because if you were 1920 about 10 years older that that math probably math we probably found out around the same time yeah I'm 20 I'm 24 now I almost said 25 I'll be 25 in January but I yeah I mean that was what 19 like four or five years ago so like I'm like geez where where was this when I needed to go to college like what where was this when I needed to when I wanted to know what high school looked like or what even middle school you know because I mean again kind of going back to your point nay about like we it might have been a thing but usually use it like a pastime so I was like ah this to me I'm curious well you guys mentioned like collages and they mentioned this about collages or you know it's our project you do in class which seemed at the time like just something to get the kids to do something for the day for whatever planning reason but I wonder it had that language been different back then as opposed to a collage using the language of a vision board would that that would have made a difference in how we looked at doing things like that at such a young age because I absolutely remember doing like collages for you know like a family collage or things that you like to do or you know just random stuff like that when you're you know sixth grade eighth grade or whatever just for the sake of doing them that would have been taken with a specific purpose like if it would if you would have had that perspective of doing this for a specific purpose or whatever I'm, I'm curious to, to know if that would have made a difference in kids at that age I think we used to do vision boards and didn't know that we did vision boards that's a good thing you mentioned that Sunny D because I did definitely think the importance of calling it what it is rather than dancing around the fact that like we're doing something that might be helpful and not like something our parents throw away silently on the side when we don't use it anymore is very impactful and creates like agency for you know students I definitely think this could a vision board could definitely help out especially eighth graders that go from like junior high middle school and transition into high school right what do you want your high school career to look like right I will say doing it for fifth graders or like those who are moving on to middle school might be a little different mainly because there's a lot of like emotions (laughs) and pubescent kind of things that start to stir up around that time and even up until eighth grade too but like it would be a little harder to try to give them instructions for that I definitely think doing something like a like an offset of that would be a a little bit more tangible for them or for that age group but yeah no critically thinking with eighth graders that transition into high school with seniors that want to go off into the workforce or college I definitely think doing something developmental would be helpful mainly because like they have a sense of direction it's not like a oh my parents told me to go to college because you know they want a better life for me well is that what you want you know so again we're giving um students more agency more i guess accountability for themselves or giving them accountability for themselves and instilling that you know at an earlier age rather than hearing about that you know as 18 19 so on and so forth because you have to think about it there are people that again going back to this aspect of privilege right because they come from so much privilege they didn't have to have a vision right because their parents gave them the vision oh i hope i didn't 
like a nerve. But, right, whereas people like myself, you know, I had to make a vision. Like, I, like, there was no, there was no, like, what do you want for yourself, right? Unless it was, like, a thing that was related to me in foster care, right? And something that had to do with the case. I didn't really have that agency. It was, like, you're going to do these things, right? Because we need you to do these things. So, again, giving kids, adolescents, right, young adults, people, or just people in general, by doing these vision boards, right, it creates accountability for yourself. And that's, like, the psychology behind, right, the idea of vision boards. When you spend so much time planning, prepping, preparing for what you want to come into fruition, why would you spend all this time to plan, prep, and prepare, and or plan and prepare, and kind of pray about it, right, my three piece personally, and um, then not do it, not do it. So, like, again, when you grow up in, you know, places of privilege, access, so on and so forth, people are like, here's what we want for you. Here's our vision for you, right? We're giving you the resources to do so. So it creates, like, this crutch for people to depend on, like, other people for their vision. I don't know what I'm going to do. My parents usually told me everything I needed to do. Um, I've seen, I've lived in a dorm with some girls because I was in an all-girls dorm in undergrad. I lived with some girls that didn't know how to start a washer and dryer on their own because their parents did their laundry for them. You see what I'm saying? Like, you don't, you don't know how to do this? Like, <laughs> so it, even though, like, yes, it might not be as minuscule as not knowing how to start a washer or dryer, but again, if people are giving you your vision, well, how are you going to be able to speak up for yourself? So I definitely think vision boards are important mainly because this is your voice coming to life, right? It's it's your themes, what you want to see for the month or for the year or for whatever task you want to do. Um, prime example, one of my customers who's actually um, one of my sorority sisters, um, she came to me and she was like, hey, like I'm having trouble trying to see this business come into fruition and just other things like that I want to see happen for myself. Can you help me out? I was like, one, absolutely. Like no question about it. Two, if you need to talk to it, like or talk to me about it outside of what I do, like I'm here for that as well. And like literally I made the vision board. She actually just opened up her business last month. So I was like, yeah, I know. I'm like, wow, chain reaction, right? So because again, she, first of all, not only like held me accountable for helping her develop the, the vision, right? She held herself accountable based on what she wanted, like what she wanted her lifestyle to look like. So again, I feel like the baseline thing here is like the psychology behind it. If we instill that at a younger age, right? Well, you held yourself accountable to these things, but you're not doing them as a high schooler. So like, let's go back to what you wanted for yourself or how does that look differently now that you are in high school? I definitely think they serve as good like mental health, like checkpoints or like just mental standpoint kind of checkpoints um, in life. So really long answer, but <laughs> I kind of hope that the importance and the relevance of vision boards, um, I hope that kind of displays there. Eddie, since you gave us the rationale for the vision boards and also the psychology behind the vision boards, what in your opinion do you think and what has your research shown is the main blockage for people in getting to their goals that they put on these vision boards, even when they've made one? Great question. So coming at this from a communication standpoint, right, we kind of unpack the relevance of or the importance of studying um, messages to create meaning between two or more people, right? So I'm going to come at this from a communication standpoint because of my research. <laughs> I will say the main blockage between actually putting these things into like practice 
practice after you've already created the vision board is the messages that you um, tell yourself afterwards, right? So that's intrapersonal communication. So what messages are you sending yourself essentially? So I, I've seen, I mean, I've fallen victim to it, right? I'll put myself out there where I create a vision board and I'm like, I don't feel like doing those things today, right? I don't feel like following these things to get to that thing, right? Maybe I want to ball out and not save money this month. Who knows, right? <laughs> not that I have the agency to do that anyway, because I'm working on such a fixed income because of teaching. But, you know, it all boils down to the messages that you're telling yourself, which kind of then creates that block from you actually achieving those goals. And now coming at this from a psychology standpoint, right? Because that's my niche. I love psychology and like getting into the minds of folks also too, because comp studies offsets it a little bit. I will say again, it depends on your mental health at a certain point in time, because we're not always happy all 31, 30, 29 days of the month, 28 days of the month, right? Um, <laughs> Nakai said, absolutely, fat, 100, okay? <laughs> We're not always going to be our best all times of the month. I I would be a lie if I said that I did, because I don't. Like, literally, there have been days where I cry for 72 hours straight. Don't even look at the vision board, right? Um, And that's one of, like, the limitations, because it's like, you have to kind of, you know, take responsibility and kind of take into consideration well, what's my mental health like, right? Because I created this vision board maybe in a mood where I was happier or in a mood where like I actually was able to see the vision, right? But sometimes there are just these blocks that happen in life or these things where it's like, well, I have to do this in order to achieve this, which then I'll be able to hit the goals on my vision board, right? And even then, um, sometimes like it just doesn't happen, right? Sometimes whatever you plan out at the beginning of the year, halfway through the year might not happen and that's okay. But instead of leaving it there, move it right there have been times where like literally this past like quarter because I, I mean when I do my vision boards like I do them every month but on my calendar right I'll have like the first quarter which is you know January to March and you know fill in the blanks there in the second quarter I was like I don't like I don't know what to do like the summer was so hard because first of all I was only teaching one section which then they cut my pay right so I'm like man I don't know how I'm, I don't know what I'm gonna do for rent I don't know what I'm gonna do for this I don't know what I'm gonna do for that and I made like a small vision board right not like something so grandiose to where I'm like, okay, these are the two goals I just need to achieve this month and I'll be okay, right? Rather than doing all of this, um, this complex work and only achieving two out of the eight goals that I put on the board, then it makes me feel defeated. So I definitely think that, again, taking into account the messages that you're telling yourself, right, on top of like taking into account your mental health is very, very important when developing your vision boards. Um, especially if you're coming at it from a place of positivity and or negativity or neutrality when you first make them. Um, and then like kind of looking back on it periodically throughout the month can definitely have have a, a, an impact on what you want to keep within the vision board or what you know you need to move on to the next month or whenever you need to accomplish it. So that's the kind of psychology and research behind those things. All of which those things I love. I love the psychology of why humans do what they do and how what we see or what we consume affects us day to day, which also makes me wonder, is there like an ideal time of year to create a vision board, a special event, something like that. Like if there's an answer to the question, when is the best time, quote unquote, to actually create a vision board? Anytime is the best time to create a vision board in my eyes, right? Um, usually um, this idea, and I'm going to kind of get very like spiritual again, sorry, <laughs> um, of this, there's this idea or this rhetorical theme of seeing a vision or seeing things clearly in this new year, right? You know, biblically and, and pastorally, right? Um, at the beginning of the year in January, right? Um, and usually there is a theme of exit, right? Within the, you know, spiritual realm, you know, in December 
So I'm thinking ideal anytime. Most common January, December is when people really start like saying, oh, let me get it together, right? <laughs> For the next year. Or even in January, they're like, what do I want this year to look like? Where people kind of fall short is them trying to plan all 365 days in January. So then when they pan out to 365 days and they only get like an X amount of things done on their vision board, well, like you didn't set tangible goals for yourself, right? Which is why I do my boards monthly, then pan out and I'm like, oh, wow. Whoa. You know? So again, psychology reverse or reverse psychology, right? We see this idea of like narrowing down. But of course, again, most people do it either December or January and then never look at the thing again. So you touched on a couple of different things because Nikai and I have done vision boards almost yearly since college, I think. I remember us going to like a vision board party and we sit together and cut out stuff out of magazines and paste things together. It's a good old arts and crafts project. But usually that would be the tail end of the year, sometime in December, kind of planning out what the year looks like. And at least for me, I've noticed that it is a bit difficult to really hone in on like specificity for an entire year when you're doing it just a couple months before that year starts. So I've been trying to look at things a quarter at a time just for a bit more narrow focus and what you touched on that I really liked about what you're saying is like you said that psychology and how that works in the mental space that you have to be in for those things to maybe come into fruition in the manner in which you want how important is understanding where you are mentally at whatever point you do your vision board throughout the year how important is your mental space when you actually are creating what that vision is supposed to look like for yourself great question sunny d wow (laughs) me personally (laughs) i don't know um i always see new months as new beginnings right um no matter what you know october 31st looked like August 31st, whatever, 31st, 30, 29, um, 28. Um, but I always come at it at a posture of new beginnings. I come at it at a posture of prayer, right? Me personally, and I don't mean to be too theistic, especially for non-theistic, you know, listeners, but coming at it at a place of, you know, humbleness, thought, you know, is very, very important. Now, going to this idea of like understanding mental health, I definitely think that's very, very important, right? I do want to put out there that, you know, a vision board is not going to solve mental health problems in an instant, right? Um, I definitely think it is very, very important and critical to seek therapy, seek um, psychological help if need be, making sure that you get yourself physically to a a, a good mental health place before even doing things on your own, right? Because life can really throw curveballs at folks and you know it doesn't matter how and sometimes like I've been there like it it doesn't matter how positive you try to see the month it just keeps feeling like it's not gonna work right so I definitely think on top of doing these if you need to seek the help get the physical help or the therapeutic help get the you know psychological help if you need be by going to like a psychologist um to kind of see what's going on right that's first and foremost to kind of tag along with mental health but now going into like seeing a new month as a new beginning is very very important right I I don't know like that's that's a big question I always me personally I pray over my vision boards because again going back to Jeremiah 23 and 11 you know you can make all your plans but at the end of the day like your maker knows your plans right and as uh, I me personally I feel like it's so so important to consult with God about you know my plans because it's like you know God I can't I can't do these things without you right like I mean that's just my personal belief but 
going into a new month, seeing it as a restart, a refresh, coming up with new goals is very important too. Um, don't just put the same like themes over and over again, unless those themes have not been achieved. So me personally, for from since August of 2021 to now, right, I've had like a computer aesthetic in my top, you know, left hand corner because I order it by importance, right? Because I'm in the middle of doing those things, right? But once May 11th, 2023 comes around, that will no longer be there, right? So then you have to make sure you alter your vision board based on life changes, based on events, based on um, any type of, you know, new interest that you pick up, right? Um, just don't have the same like thing over and over again on the board, which again makes envisioning, you know, the month, the week, the day a little easier. And also too, if you need to create mini vision boards, right? Just having a picture to symbolize what you want your day to look like, what you want your hour to look like, is also very, very important too. Like, just don't look at this big board for the month that you've created and it's like ah right take it week by week day by day but hour by hour and second by second if you need to so I love everything that you said and it sounds to me that there's a huge vulnerability piece to creating this vision board because as you said you have to know first and foremost you got to know what you want so what in your research have you found that specifically talks about vulnerability but specifically with black women great question so in one of my classes um and I don't I am so obsessed with this class because this class was just so empowerful but in the summer I took a communication theory course um so I'm gonna throw a lot of theory not a lot one theory at you but we'll break it down, which gets into this vulnerability aspect with Black women. Now, vulnerability from what I've learned in the past, right, was from a white woman <laughs> who I love dearly. Her name is um, Brene Brown. And she touches, <laughs> she, t- I look, <laughs> the kind of like, that's my girl. I, she touches a lot on what vulnerability is. And based on her research, right, um, vulnerability is you being able to freely, willingly, and openly self-disclosed pieces of information that you need to come to terms with within yourself, right? Again, that kind of goes back into that intrapersonal communication I was kind of diving into earlier. However, there is an implication within Brene Brown's research that doesn't tailor Black women. This theory that I learned about in Com Theory called the Strong Black Woman Collective Theory, right, looks into how um, the stereotype or the trope of being a strong-willed Black woman, you know, how how that impacts our communication, right? So by being seen as like, you know, the backbone of the family, being seen as, um, you know, the it Black girl, right? I'm not going to say the it girl, because again, that looks different for different demographics. Just to kind of throw that out there. Being the it Black girl, being um, the icon, the whatever, right? It essentially builds up this wall that, you know, infringes upon vulnerability, right? Um, you want everybody else to be okay besides yourself, right? You tell everybody else to go to the doctor or go do these things, but you don't do those things, right? Because you, you're fine. You don't need to worry about it. And vulnerability, right? When we try to unload those things and like find, you know, a, a space where we are able to cry and able to show emotions, right? That usually gets 
halted at the door, right? Just, you know, just girl, don't worry about it. Stop crying, right? That's usually what we hear. These vision boards do the opposite of what that theory says, right? We fill in this implication within our theory that doesn't allow for vulnerability to happen. With these vision boards, right, this is a time where you come to terms with what you want for yourself, right? This is a time for you to reflect on the things that you haven't done, the things that you want to see come to come into fruition for yourself. And it gets vulnerable because one, if you come from generational trauma, if you come from events that have not been in your favor, um, if you come from, you know, a place where you have been ridiculed for your, you know, race, gender, sexuality, identification, fill in the blank, this is where it gets vulnerable, right? Because you are giving your, yourself the creative space to envision a new you. That's the vulnerable piece right there. So although not every month or not, uh, even though every month might not like look the same, but you are adding to this new element of you, right? So, I mean, and I even see it within my own personal vision boards. Like my vision board back in January of this year, it was very basic. I had like 10 to 12 images on there. Now you, I see like the physical growth, the mental growth, like um, exponential, right? Spiritual growth, right? On these boards. So again, as I look back over each year, I allow myself to cry, right? I allow myself to get angrier. I allow myself to feel frustrated. I give myself the, you know, emotional space to be vulnerable. So yeah, these, these can be very personal. Random. I don't know why when you were talking and gave us that, you know, dissertation in the best way possible about vulnerability, I thought of Beyonce's Alien Superstar song in my head. Yeah, I don't know what kind of correlation in my head I made, but that's literally the song that's been playing in my head. Random, I know, but if you know me, you know, I love a good song. First of all, please don't ever apologize, Nay, for bringing up Beyonce, okay? Alien, first of all, stream renaissance. Stream renaissance, let's start there. Alien Superstar, first of all, is a place of vulnerability because the main word in that song that she repeats over and over again is unique, right? (laughs) Um, Again, being unique right, is a degree of vulnerability. It has a level of vulnerability to it, right? Um, Because we take being unique very seriously, right? Uniqueness is what stands me out from um, you all. It stands Nakai out from Sunny D. It stands May out from Sunny D, so on and so forth, right? Like, it just makes, so even though we're all Black women, right, or women presenting individuals, um, we all have different experiences. So even though we have this collective consciousness about, you know, being a Black woman in a white society, in a a patriarchal society that our experiences look different, right? And we take, you know, pride in what makes us different from other women and what makes us different from our neighbors and so on and so forth. So um, yes, oh my God, I love the correlation. And that's really cute. Now I'm going to go listen to that song after this. I'm going to go listen to that song. I might listen to the whole album, but we'll listen to that song specifically. (laughs) It's so funny that she said that because I was like, oh, I need to re-listen to that song because that's one of my favorites. But I'm like, oh, Oh, now I'm going to go re-listen to it the same as you because I'm like, I want to hear the correlation now. So, and okay. So um, you talked about black women and our goals and like this quote unquote, we got to be the strong person. Um, How does that create a barrier in us achieving our goals and actually being in that creative space? Great question, Nakai. So by seeing ourselves as the strong black woman who don't need no man, who don't need no help, I'm going to go back onto the don't need no help, right? We, by by being seen as the strong Black woman, we are not providing ourselves the ability to be okay with weakness, right? Because when 
you know, we often equate ourselves to our ancestors, to slaves, right? Um, who had to take the lashing of whips, who had to take the lashing of not um, having babies against their will, um, who had to take the lashing of, you know, cooking for, you know, so on and so forth, who had to take the lashing of being sold, right? Um, so we often tend to equate ourselves with our ancestors because they did it. They were strong enough to go through it. So I'm strong enough to be able to do this, right? However, when it comes to our history, their their strength looked way different because of the you know historical time period than what our strength looks like in 2022 right so again going into these waves of black feminism then we start to un, um, we need to unpack like what is causing me to be strong now why do i feel the need to be strong now you know not going and please do not discredit you know the work of our ancestors to get us to where we are now but it looks different with each wave of feminism. Um, so I definitely think that is one barrier to allowing ourselves to feel, you know, vulnerable, right? Again, weakness, um, because we don't want to cry in front of folks. We don't want to feed into the stereotype of us being like emotional or irrational. Um, I definitely think that's another thing um, as well. And I think another thing that is preventing us is... Tr- I don't even know, trying to navigate living in a white world. We have to do a lot of the work in fighting for our voice in corporate America and political spaces. Um, and even just in other like micro kind of discourses that go on every day. I I definitely think when we, because we want to, we're fighting to be seen as equitable or we're fighting for e- equity in spaces where, you know, they don't want us because of, you know, how we style our hair, how we um, approach people and things of that nature. So it puts us on this automatic defense all the time, which doesn't allow room for vulnerability. So I definitely think those are three obstacles to us trying to be a little bit more vulnerable in our day-to-day lives. Thank you. So what is this, what do you want to be remembered for or what do you want your legacy to be? Oh man, I, uh, <laughs> I don't even still ponder on it, but I want to be remembered for the fact that I have helped people get to better versions of themselves. I want to be remembered for the person who was always willing to extend the hand and whatever is needed. I also want to be remembered for my intellect because, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but people have told me that I'm pretty smart. (laughs) So... Um, I definitely want to be remembered for my intellect and the impact that I have, like in academia, in my community and things of that nature. Well, yes, toot your own horn, do it all day, every day, because you are a very intellectual human being. And like the way you're presenting yourself so professional, but also so very humble and kind, that's something that you can't buy. So that's an intangible, which makes you unique. So go ahead, toot it if you want. Toot, toot. (laughs) (laughs) So with that, um, what is one thing you would leave all of our listeners about specifically regarding vision boards? Oh, okay. It is never a bad time to create a blueprint for your vision. Even if you can't see it, you know, in pictures, write down bullet points, right? This is, even it can be one word, money, financial stability, whatever, right? It's also too, right? It is never a bad time to, like, don't wait until January or December to start planning out an entire year. Don't do that. That is bad practice. Well, it's not bad. It's not the most effective, right? You know, I feel like I've accomplished so much in this year that I can't even name off 
the top of my head because I've just taken it, you know, month by month because it's tangible for me, right? So two, creating smart goals, right? If you don't know what smart goals are, those are goals that are tangible, effective, um, measurable, so on and so forth, that will help you achieve those goals. So your vision board might be vision bullet points, which might turn into visual or uh, visual images, which might then turn into a vision board. Don't feel like because people are putting these collages together and calling it what it is, like that's the only way to do it. Absolutely not. So find what's equitable, what's beneficial, what will help you achieve those goals that best fit your schedule and that best fit your lifestyle. And for all my folks, kind of to give you a direction who might not be like the visual visual kind of person if you do need to do more words as ad kind of described try bullet journaling bullet journaling that way you can get the words and maybe that'll segue into the pictures but it'll give you that freedom to do it in whatever manner if you need to slowly inch your way into the visual pictures. Absolutely. Um, I actually started out with bullet journaling before I got like big deep into like my personal uh, like monthly calendars that I do. Um, and honestly, that has helped so much in being able to like start small and then get into these grandiose complex ideas. I love that. And from what I'm hearing is that once you're creating these vision boards, specifically how you said you do one every month, um, it increases your self-worth because you're understanding what you want, you're understanding and you're getting into that vulnerability. So it increases that self-worth, that self-love and that self-belief. And with that, y'all a word from our sponsor. Hey, beautifuls, this message is brought to you by The Grass is Greener on the Other Side, where we help women who have anger, sadness, and shame from being cheated on learn how to heal and take their power back so they can regain confidence, restore their peace, and attract the life of their dreams. We can be found on IG at Brianna underscore Latrice. That's spelled B-R-I-A-I-N-A underscore L-A-T-R-I-C-E. And for all of the Where's My Blueprint podcast listeners, we're offering free 15-minute discovery calls. So if you're ready to regain and restore that self-love, self-worth, and self-belief back in yourself, shoot me a DM for a free discovery call today. Because my motto is, honey, leave that cheater and find your peace. If you're interested in joining my new course, Rejection is Redirection, using your past as a reference, not a residence, you can email me at affairrecoverycoach at gmail.com or you can shoot me a dm at brianna underscore latrice see you on the call we're going to transition into our segment of moments of melanation moments of melanation moments of melanation is where we highlight a black person doing their thing today for moments of melanation we are highlighting today we are going to highlight sarah e good she is an african-american inventor and business owner and when i found kind of her history and why at least why i personally wanted to give her a shout out is because your girl just moved and moving furniture and dealing with furniture and dealing with movers is a pain in the butt so when i found out that she along with her husband archie owned a custom furniture store in chicago 
1885. She was the second African-American woman to receive a patent for her invention of the fold-away bed, which is actually the precursor to the Murphy bed, which that didn't get a patent until 1900. So what I love about this is she was inspired to help those that lived in tight, like living spaces. Her goal was to balance out the weight of the folding bed for it to be easily lifted up, to fold and unfold and be secured on each side. And what's cool about this is like, it was like a cabinet. So it was like a cabinet bed. So it folded up and had like a roll top desk on top, which had compartments for like writing supplies and like stationery, which was really cool. In 2012, the Sarah E. Good STEM Academy, which is formerly known as the Southwest Area High School Project, is a science and math focused high school that was opened in her honor on the south side of Chicago. And what I loved about this is this school focuses on STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and math to help students prepare for future careers. They are partnered with IBM and students are encouraged to graduate with industry certifications and two years of college credit. And so the students also get professional mentors and internships at this academy, which I absolutely loved. And all of this was started because she had a vision of being able to make just living in life in these tight quarters more efficient and simpler for so many families. So ladies, what do you think about what Miss Sarah Good has provided for us? Um, I definitely think that she has paved a way for Black women's voices in STEM, right? Uh, When we think about, you know, who is, you know, doing the science for us, who is doing, you know, the, you know, math behind like what we build for us, right? It's pretty much like white people, right? (laughs) So we, I don't know, I feel like also too, creating a foundation, creating a name and giving credit to where credit is due for Black women is such an advancement within our community, mainly because too many times we as Black women usually have our ideas stolen by people in power, by people who have money. So by creating a foundation um, for, you know, young high schoolers to be able to hone in on, you know, craft and technology, right? That's it's irreplaceable, right? Um, and also too, it creates more diversity in STEM um, rather than those who um, may be white or, or Asian or so on and so forth, and then not knocking their achievements whatsoever. Um, but I mean, there's just a small percentage of, you know, Black people in general in STEM. I love that when I was doing this research, that when you think about efficient furniture, you think about living in tight spaces and having things be functional, having pieces be more multi-use you you know one of the pieces of furniture that you instinctively think about is the murphy bed like that's what you know as like the bed that comes out of the wall and you can put it back and maybe have some shelves or something like it has a dual use it saves space and things of that nature and the fact that that came from what sarah good has created with her husband with this fold-away bed that was patented you know a decade plus before the murphy bed was even a thing and now knowing that all we know or the, one of the first things that we know is the Murphy bed and not so much this foldaway bed. It, it makes me really glad and grateful that the area of Chicago has created this academy in her name, in her honor, in her legacy, where they can share the importance of what she has been able to create for us. You know what I'm saying? So now we have so there's so many different pieces of furniture now that exist that have multi uses. So many areas is incredibly important. And I'm glad that 
that now students kind of have that as an inspiration to get into STEM. This is just another example of the beautiful genius that is Black woman. But it also reminds me of that Malcolm X quote that said, the most disrespected person in America is the Black woman. The most unprotected person in America is the Black woman. The most neglected person in America is the Black woman. Like as Black women, we birth everything. We birth ideas. We birth the nation. We birth life. We give so much and we have been entrusted with so much. But yet, instead of appreciating, uplifting, protecting us, a lot of times we are trampled. We are misused. We're disrespected. So kudos to Miss Sarah Good. Kudos to all beautiful Black women who, instead of becoming, you know, fodder at the bottom of the foot, are rising up and are now being planted and sprouting and just using all of their thoughts and all of their gifts, maybe not even being recognized for them, but still moving forward and onward and upward. Yes, that was beautifully said. Hey, so thank you. Um, my initial thought when I heard that quote was Beyonce at Coachella, since we were talking about Beyonce earlier, uh, Beyonce at Coachella, and when she came out to that and she put it to music, it was amazing. And it turned heads, obviously, as Beyonce. But um, my thought on Miss Sarah is I love this because for me, I love anything that's practical and functional. So specifically, if you are in small spaces, so I think of like, if you're in college or you're in a studio, because if you live in Cali to get a full one bedroom or two bedroom, you're going to be spending some dough. So you may be in a, a studio. So you have to have it functioning in multiple purposes. And so for her to create this, I think first and foremost, give you flowers, but kiss your brain because you figured out like, how can I make a bed and fold it that comes out and in like that took some serious innovation, right? But I also think of sometimes the most simple thing, if you keep it simple, that's where your vision comes from. And so Sarah, we give you all the flowers because that is awesome. Like you've done it and I love it. And with that, y'all, we are going to move to our affirmation. And today we have an affirmation from Miss AD. Um, so my affirmation is sometimes you have to get through the pain to experience the joy. You know, we talked a lot earlier about vulnerability, how to overcome past, um, you know, generational trauma, right? So sometimes you have to be able to address that trauma to release yourself. And of course, you know, as Black women, sometimes we have to get through the social, political, and economic, you know, evils that are against us to find um, relevation, um, or excuse me, elevation and relevation too, um, and rejuvenation within our life. Um, so that is my affirmation for the day. So with that, I do love that uh, affirmation because you are correct. I think of it as working out too. Like we want this certain body, but in order to get that body, you have to go through that pain of doing those squats, right? And so with that, thank you for that. But before we let you go, tell us where can all of our listeners find you, follow you? Where can they get this link so you can go ahead and do their vision boards, get that journal that you said that you've uh, been creating. So go ahead and share all your social media and your website. Absolutely. So my social media, you can find me on Facebook at Amber Alston. You can find me on Instagram at it is Amber Alston with an N, uh, with an extra N and an underscore at the end. So it's Amber with two R's and then Alston with two N's and one underscore. You can find my company, right? Envision, which is, of course, we want to envision our vision, right? Um, so let me help you do that at envision.co. And of course, envision is spelled E-N-V-I-Z-I-O-N-E and then dot co, C-O. And I'm pretty sure 
was pretty much it with my social media. I tried to, you know, decrease the amount of social media that I'm on <laughs> uh, since everything is so digitally um, involved. But that is where you can find me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And so listeners, go get your life together. I know this is happening and we are already at the end of the year. However, like she said, you don't need a whole new year. You just need a whole new month. So January is around the corner. Get your life together. Get this vision board. Because look, this is 2023 is the year that we just got to start getting stuff together. Like we've already wasted what two years well not we depending on your life i'm <laughs> already wasted some years we've already had covid if covid didn't teach us anything the time is now so with that we want to say thank you y'all follow us on spotify amazon google apple youtube go check out uh, the blog and all nays commentary at where's my blueprintpod.com again that's where's my blueprintpod.com and go ahead and check out miss ad's website so she can get your life together thank you and we are over and out bye peace out